Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. We at Watermark are committing to being a praying church to becoming a praying church. Yes, that is a sick announcement. Way to go. You get it. Way to go. We are in this series, you guys, called Worthy, Bringing God Our Best. It's been a study in the Gospel Book of Luke, so you can open your Bibles now, whether on your phone. There will be some on the screen today, but there is few better offerings to bring God than our prayers. Our prayers and expectation, our, our prayers and anticipation, our prayers of faith. Prayer is one heck of an offering to bring to God. Take a look at what it says here in James chapter 5. It says, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone in good spirits? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you ill? He should summon the elders, the leaders of the church, and they should pray for him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. So confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed The prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness. You know, in this last year of my life, I've learned a lot about prayer. As a uh, so-called career Christian myself, I feel almost like a little ripped off, to be honest. Went so many years, and I felt like no one ever told me what was really behind this thing called prayer. Went my whole life basically thinking, you know, it was how I sounded uh, or getting some of my requests, you know, met. This past year, I've learned you guys, and I hope you'll meet me there today, is that prayer is one of the most misunderstood, most underutilized, and quite quite frankly, most underwhelming aspects of our church and our faith, personally. And again, I'm just coming from experience. On the flip side, in this last year, there's one big idea that I've learned about prayer. You could reduce it to one big idea, and here it is. And this is what we're talking about this morning. How can we learn to partner in the power of prayer? There is great power that comes with partnering with God in the words that we speak in prayer. Tremendous, untapped, and and quite frankly, underutilized power that comes with prayer. Dallas Willard, who's a famous Christian author, says it this way. Let's see, did I even get this one this time? Yes, here we go. Prayer conforms us to God's desires and makes us trustworthy with the power that God gives us in response. Is that a crazy way of thinking about prayer? Or or as James said in the verse we looked at, the prayers of a righteous person are effective. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. Prayer to heal a sick person. What? Prayers to, to bring salvation to someone. They could be living as their own God, as their own law, as their own way, and they could find a better way to be underneath the way and the law of God, and that they could experience new life. That's a miraculous thing when someone has a churn of heart. That's a miraculous thing when someone is sick and they're made well. Some of you in this room know what I'm talking about. Powerful and efficient and effective prayers. And yet, if you're anything like me, at least prior to the last six to 12 months, there's all kinds of questions that abound when it comes to prayer. You know, um, isn't prayer just kind of like, they're pretty good questions, I get it. Isn't prayer just kind of like for audience participation, Ben? 
Like, don't we get, like, points for praying with God? Does it actually do anything besides me make, make me feel kind of warm and fuzzy? Is it just a to-do list? This is what Christians do, man. i got to spend time in prayer. This is part of my list. Or do we go to God asking him to bless our agenda? Is that what prayer is for? Here's a, here's a challenging one. When we pray, are we changing God's heart or mind? Do we do that? Can we possibly have some kind of influence over God that we manipulate his will and his way in the world? Not so much. So it's my announcement, it's our announcement and our hopeful prayer this morning that Watermark would be a praying church. There is so much power in praying in numbers, let me tell you. And that we would be a a church filled with anticipation, a church that partners with God that partners with God, he doesn't want puppets, you guys. He doesn't want robots. He's not interested in that. Does that make any sense? That if God were going to go do this human nature experiment, that he would say, just dance, dance, you silly puppets. Is that, does that make any sense? No. He was looking for partners. And so our hopeful prayer is that we could partner with God in redeeming this city, redeeming that neighborhood across the street called Del Mesa with all of its brokenness and all of its need There's families. It's not just homes. It's not just a housing track. It's not just a park. It's not just an egg hunt. It's families that are in dire need of encouragement and consolation. We get to partner with God in that great work. Let's open, okay? We're going to be in Luke chapter 18. If you're following along, you can can check it out. Uh, Verse uh, verse 1 in chapter 18, okay? We're going to learn a lot from this parable. It's an illustration that Jesus used. He often deployed this tactic of telling a story where the characters of the story were symbols of the point he wanted to make, okay? And so in chapter 18, verse 1, this is what Jesus says. And it's on the screen now. Thank you so much, Kells. Way to hustle. Then Jesus told them a parable to show them they should always pray and not lose heart. So what's the parable for? To always pray and not lose heart. I love that. We have lots of parables from Jesus. Seldom does he tell us the point at the beginning of the story. To always pray and not lose heart. It reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 5, this verse you've maybe heard before, to pray without ceasing. That's what we're called, Ben. As Christians, we pray without ceasing. The word there is adaliptos. It means constantly recurring prayer. And yet, I'm challenged by that because that's not the model I use. (laughs) When I'm in need, when my circumstances are overwhelming me, I'm not always in prayer. I'm not always in prayer and not losing hope. What's my method? My method is maybe... A three-step process. Maybe you resonate with this. Um, Number one, freak out. (laughs) Number one, freak out with anxiety and stress and drama and then stir that pot of drama and keep it coming. Number one, drama, chaos. Number two, do. Just perform and do and conduct and be busy and amuse myself and entertain myself and make sure my legs and my gums are flapping. I just do, 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 do. And then maybe I get around to number three, sometimes pray. Does that sound familiar to anyone else? And then even then when I pray, it's how do I sound and what can I get out of this moment, out of this relationship? Jesus is saying you have this untapped power, this untapped partner in prayer. Flip it, you guys. We got to flip it. Go to our knees in prayer first. And there was power in that moment. He goes on in verse 2 to tell us more about the story. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. Sounds like a real wonder, doesn't it? Just a sweet-hearted guy. Uh, At first I thought, man, this is one heck of a jaded judge. But no, he's much worse than that, okay? He's a criminal. He's a crook. This is not a Jewish court of law. This is a Roman magistrate. 
So if you're Jews living in the first century Judea, uh, Samaria, the surrounding areas, you're, you're occupied right now by the Roman Empire. And so you're subservient to their system. And this judge is a, is a Dine Gerzeloff. That's the Greek. Dine Gerzeloff. That means robber judge. It's the type of judge that you only make any headway if you're bribing. He handled the civic suits, usually around financial disputes. Anyone here ever been in a, a financial dogfight? Anyone? Anyone ever been driven to their knees through a financial need and just a battle of finances? I'm, I'm, I'm betting half the room. I, don't, I won't take a vote, but I'm betting that's at least half the room. Here's what you need to know. This woman, okay, and about this judge, this woman isn't just fighting a case. She's fighting a powerful system. She's up against a powerful system. And I want to ask a question for you to really think about for the rest of the service and way beyond. Is there anyone, anyone, is there anyone at Watermark who is praying for systematic homelessness? Is there anyone here who's willing to pray for, for systematic addiction? Anyone here who's maybe willing to, to, to pray over systematic illiteracy? Because if you are, I, I would say sign up in the lobby. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Go ahead. Sign up in the lobby. I want a small army of people. We want, and Judith, our prayer director, wants a small army of people willing to commit to pray daily in expectation for God to do something powerful as we meet him. That is his will, by the way, isn't it? That is his will that kids succeed so they can read and they can have a hope in the future. That is his will, by the way, that people would be breaking the bonds of addiction and slavery of addiction. Yeah, I don't have to second guess that. That's a good and noble and God's will sort of prayer. If you want to fight a powerful system, you need power that comes through prayer. That's the weapon that we need. That's the weapon that this woman has that we're going to meet right here in verse 3. There was also a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. It's our second character. Okay, Character number one, the judge. Apathetic and just awful crook judge. And Character number two, the widow. She is a symbol for every weak or broken or oppressed person living in the first century. And it's not a great time and place. The Jews suffer from triple taxation. When they are finally taxed to the very last penny, they take their kids. Their kids are in slavery. Uh, They're taking the very shirt off their back. We have precedent in in the Bible and the Gospels of, of Jews being taken to court for these very reasons. It's a tough time. And this widow is maybe just like me and you. I mean, think about the median age of this room at 30, 40. Uh, I think we picture, oh, she's a, you know, an old, decrepit widow. No, she could be about 30 years old, this woman. But she's got no support. She's defenseless. But there's one thing this woman teaches us is that, that, that the prayer has to be the right kind of prayer. The type of prayer that she offers is the right kind of prayer. Well, Ben, what do you mean? Come on, doesn't, doesn't God listen to all of our stuff? Yes, he does. Okay, but listen to this for a second. Uh, this is from James 4. Check it out. It says, where do the conflicts and where do the quarrels among you come from? It is not from this, from your, from your passions that battle inside you. Is it not from this, your passions that battle inside you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and envy and you cannot obtain. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask what? Wrongly. So you can spend it on your own passions. What this woman has done is she's lined up, she's synced up with God's will and her request for justice against a systematic power. It's like a lane merge, okay? A, a successful lane merge, all right? Uh, where the cars come together, we went from two lanes to one. That's what's happening with this woman's will and God's will. They're synced up. They're lined up. They're in unity. 
What's instructive about the widow's prayer is that we ask too little and we ask wrongly. Let me pause for a second and dissect what I mean. First thing, famous verse. If you didn't know and you're newer to church, welcome. God bless you. I'm glad you're here, okay? And this, this verse is quoted all the time. You know what? It's not going well for you because you ask not, therefore you have not. And we're like on our Christian thrones and we're like condemning people and judging them. You didn't ask, son, okay? Listen, I think the part of the truth of that is not that we, we didn't have enough faith. It's that we just doubt. Our default is doubt. We are the own naysayers. We didn't have to have someone tell us that. We, we, just, we just ask too little and that we're doubting what God is capable of doing. That's our first thing. We ask too little. The second thing, asking wrongly. Again, were her prayers in line with her desires? You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you don't ask. You do not receive because you ask wrongly. It's the desires inside our own heart. James, who's writing this, couches the whole conversation in terms of war. He's using these comparisons and metaphors of war. And he says there's a war inside of you and me. We have a problem submitting our desire and our will underneath the will of God. This is what produces power in the partnership for this woman. She gets that. Her desires have become aligned with God's, and she understands that there was nothing too big for her God, the maker and creator of the whole universe. He sets everything in motion, and then he sustains it. (laughs) That's the God that we address in prayer. Come on, is that huge? Is that sizable? Is there anything too small or too big for him? There's nothing. She has asked rightly, and that's why her partnership of prayer makes perfect sense. Let's look back at Luke, verse 4. For a while he refused, but later on he said to himself, Wow, there you go. That's my water bottle here. Welcome to the party. Though I neither fear God nor have regard for people, again, he's just such an all-star, yet because this widow keeps on bothering me, I will give her justice, in fact, or in the end, she's just going to wear me out by her unending pleas. This widow has no resources. She has no defenses, except not really. What does she have? Go ahead. You can say, what does she have? It's like, it's like the basic question, like, who saves? And all the kids in the kids' ministry say, Jesus! Okay, today's message is about prayer, so I'm going to ask one more time. What's the one weapon she has? Okay, let's go one more time. What's the one weapon she has? Yes, way to go! You need to leave this morning with one big idea in your little noggin here, and it's prayer. The power in prayer. Beautiful. My goodness. She's got this weapon of prayer. She's been weaponized with prayer. That's no small thing. She's not defenseless. What the world calls defenseless, what the world calls meek and weak, God says, look it, I will meet you halfway. I am willing. I am able. If you will submit your will to mine and align your desire with mine and you will come in expectation that I am as big as I say I am, then there is no more small people in God's kingdom. There is no more small requests. She has these weapons that she's wielding. And I'll tell you, you've maybe heard this quote before, what this woman teaches me, there's no more powerful posture than on your knees in prayer. As men and women of every age, no more powerful posture and position than on our knees in prayer. And you may say to me, Ben, I've heard that quote before, that's good, awesome, yes, we must be humble, but I don't think we get it. We haven't arrived all the way there if you think that that comment or that cute phrase is just about humility and about just, you know, viewing ourselves as less than. No, it's our view of what God does. This woman, it's not necessarily that she's this fervor and this loudness and she's sweating and she's beating her chest on the stop, on the, on the staircase in front of a bunch of people. I don't read that. 
So it's not just the doing and producing of prayer. It's something internal, the way we think about what could happen in prayer. And one of the reasons that I was blessed to have my, my understanding of prayer increase this last year is because I attended some prayer trainings that we were hosting. This wonderful man, a pastor at a church down the street, came in here and taught us about prayer. And, and one of the things that he said is that when we pray, our prayers meet at the intersection of the seen and unseen realms. Pretty heavy, right? Just hang with me for a second. I just wrote in the notes as he put that on his outline. I said, we cross over. <laughs> In our prayers, in our partnership with the, with the Holy Spirit, by the way, inside of us, that's the power of the living God inside you and me, those who say they're believers, they're given the gift of the Holy Spirit, a version and a form of God that lives in you and me. And when we pray, it's not the fervency, and it's not even, oh, I'm just so filled with faith I, faith, I never doubt. No, it's the way we think about what is possible when we speak a word and we're trusted with the power, back to Dallas Willard's comment, our desires are aligned, and then we're believing and we're trusting that God can do immeasurably more. He meets us halfway. That's, that's the God of the Bible. That's the God of history. We, we sing that song, one of my favorite songs, He Parted the Seas. And whether you've been in church a long time or you're newer, you remember that story where he parted the seas for Israel, and he did it again for many other characters, but he parts the water. And that's miraculous and powerful enough, Right? You think maybe that was enough, that just they could visibly see the tangible miracle of God in their midst. But think about it for a second. If you're them, you still have to take that first step between a chasm of two walls of water. He meets us. He's interested in partnering with us. It's the way you start to think about prayer because, guys, we cannot any longer underestimate and underutilize the power in prayer. We cannot treat it like it's a casual afterthought. It's something we do on the way, and it's something that I just, you know, this empty, promised, halfway hoped type of rote routine. And you'll see that the way we think of it, what Jesus calls faith, the way that we bat down doubt, and the way we think of it with a little bit more uh, trust and expectation is is this thing that he calls faith. Look what happens in verse 6. He says, and the Lord said, Listen to what the unrighteous judge says, you guys. Won't God give justice to this chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long to help them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. (laughs) And and I'm glad that you're just as encouraged as I was when I read that word speedily. And I have this trusty little commentary that tells you about the original language and kind of peels open the history and the context of the passage. And they translate that word speedily. It actually means soon. <laughs> That's not very specific, is it? I, uh, I was blessed enough in college to travel abroad, and we went to South Africa. In South Africa, they have this, um, they have like three speeds of soon. Um, it's, uh, they say, um, hey, I'm coming just now. Just now means like you could be literally 15 minutes away, and you have no idea. I'm coming just now. I'm coming now, or I'm coming now, now. Now, now is like urgency. I'm at the doorstep. I'm pulling up right now. These three terms are not helpful for me. You haven't told me anything about your actual ETA. Like, map it out. Send me some minutes about when you're going to be at the door. You haven't told me anything. This verse is kind of that way. What, what it instructs us as, you guys, is that we don't always get what we want, and we don't always get it when we want it. Isn't that true? We've all experienced that. I see a lot of heads nodding. Thank you. I'm with you in that. I, I, I meet you right there. But guess what else? Prayer isn't just about getting it's not just about getting. See, Dallas Willard's quote up there was, was about a relationship that we build where we become trustworthy. That's what he says. 
Well, if you're using relationship language, that points to what? A relationship. In this verse, Jesus says, won't God give justice to his chosen, to his chosen ones, his children? We're talking about a father and his children. This is the relationship that we're called to partner in. So many of us think that prayer is where we go to get a yes, no response, but that's so short-selling prayer, I can't even tell you. It's not just about what we get, and it's not just about yes, no. It's about building a relationship. We go there to meet the Father. And there's no more perfect way to outline this than to talk about our earthly relationships with our parents. Isn't that true? So my wife and I have seven babies, okay? We have four biological, three adopted. I know, jaw-dropper. He's so young. He looks so fresh. How could he have so many? That's what you guys are thinking, right? Good, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And we have these kids from uh, one, and a, one, one and a half to seven years old who are on varying, various uh, kind of moments of the spectrum of being trusted with big things. You know, I have a four-year-old who, boy, goodness gracious, he can't be trusted with a plastic fork and knife, okay? Just can't be trusted. He's not there yet. But he's talking to dad. He's learning. He's listening. In prayer, it's not just yes, no. It's not just what we get. But he's, he's listening in this relationship with the father, And then I have others who are being delegated even more authority. Hear me on that. We pray if God's looking for partners to to partner with him in redeeming the world, we we listen, we build a relationship, and we are are granted more and more trust. And with that trust comes more responsibility and, and dare I say, power. I have this five-turning six-year-old daughter. My goodness, what a gift she is to us. Uh, she has earned her way. She's proven trustworthy. She's spent time with us showing that she can handle the little, so we give her much. And I'll tell you that what you may think is the smallest, silliest example, but I think it actually is about life-giving. You know, Evie, who's my six-year-old daughter, we can now, everyone's upstairs, we're doing bedtime routine, we're trying to put the baby down, my one-year-old, Evie, I need a bottle, I need a milk bottle, can you go down, grab the bottle, fill it with just the right amount of milk, don't destroy the kitchen as you're doing it, and then hustle back upstairs and do it. She can execute that flawlessly. Wow. Do you see where I'm going with this? Is this not a beautiful analogy for what God does with us? Is it just a milk bottle or is it the substance that gives life to those around us and gives renewal and restoration for those around us? God's looking for the same type of relationship with you and I. Not just requests, not just yes, no. He wants partners that can be trusted in handling the power of giving life. This is the picture of our God. This is what the, the widow has figured out. He ends in the last verse that we're covering today in Luke 18 with this very big idea that I don't want us to miss. Part of what happens when we partner in the power of prayer is that something happens to our faith. Something does, in fact, happen with our belief and our expectation of what God is capable of and what he's in the business of doing. This is what he says. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Can we be patient and faithful in the waiting? And will our faith grow? You guys, there's a really important challenge about faith as I'm learning it. There's no like neutral speed for faith, okay? There's no like maintenance mode for faith. We may feel like we're in seasons of our faith being challenged, and we may have seasons of doubt, and God will bless you and keep you in those moments. There are Bible legends, okay, who are in those same shoes. How about David? Let's just start there. 
Okay, two-thirds of his psalms are what? Psalms of lament, psalms of crisis, psalms of being in need. So you're in good company, okay? So don't hear what I'm not saying, but can we be patient in, the, in waiting? And what does that have to do with growing our faith? I see these pictures that God and, and Jesus uses cover to cover in the Bible about growth and about flourishing, about producing fruit and about the vine. When we're in the Father's will, we learn to pray with him and partner with him. He produces things. He grows things. Healthy things grow. There's no just like middle neutral speed. See, the power in prayer is how it becomes the mechanism for faith growth. One of my favorite parts of the story is what we don't see, what happens after this verse. Because I like to think that the, the woman who was battling a powerful system comes back to her neighborhood, back to her people. In the first century, they're intensely communal people. There's not just this one woman fighting her battle in isolation. No way. You wouldn't go on a date without dad or mom or uncle or aunts or cousins. Uh, you definitely wouldn't go to court without mom or dad or uncles or brothers or cousins. It's a familial, intensely intimate communal community in the first century. I, you know what I hope and I believe and I picture she does after she wins this case? Man, she runs back to the town and she says, you guys thought I was stupid. You thought I was dumb. You thought I had no case in court. But I fought the law and we won. We won. We fought the greatest system of power that ever lived the Roman Empire, man. And we won. Look what my God did. What happens to her faith? Do you think her faith is just like, man, let's go about our business and just hope it works out okay? No way. Next time she faces crisis, next time she faces need, next time she faces circumstance, she's saying, I've seen my God at work in this world here and now, and I know who I can go to. Her prayer looks a little different, doesn't it? Her prayer looks a little different bit after bit in the way that God showed up in her life. And yet, if you're anything like me, you're wondering, Ben, yeah, but that was sweet because that was the prayer that he answered. What, what happens uh, you know, for uh, those of us who don't get, the, don't get justice in court. Where's God then? What are we supposed to do then? And as the band comes up, I'm going to finish with one more verse that I think answers this question for us in two stories. This whole issue of, Ben, well, I didn't get what I wanted because I didn't have enough faith. And, and, and where does that come from? And what are you saying there? And why does that make me feel less than? And, and I feel so judged because my faith didn't soar and it didn't grow because I didn't get what I wanted. We've had a battle in church history, we've had a battle over this idea. Why or why not does God answer, and when and how, and what does he answer, which ones? And, and it's really, I could reduce it to one verse. This is one of the biggest ones, at least. This comes from Matthew 17. It says, then the disciples came to Jesus. Pause, pause for a second. Let me set the stage. The disciples have been confronted with a boy who has, uh, is demon-possessed, okay? He's ill, he's sick, and they couldn't do it. Through their own power, through their own prayers, they couldn't do it. And so Jesus comes in, he, you know, he's going to save the day. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we cast it out? Why, why couldn't we make this young boy well? He told them, it was because of your little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll save this mountain, move from here to there, and it will stand by. <laughs> and it will move. It will move. When we pray, things move. Nothing will be impossible for you. This is a challenging verse. What's Jesus at here? This is pretty wild, Jesus. What are you doing? And my mom-in-law, this last week, were debating this idea about how Christians have butchered this verse. They have butchered it to guilt and shame people into not having enough faith. And yet I think that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There was a story for, this is the story, my, my mom-in-law and dad-in-law, Bucky, who is up there, I guess we're related in that way, okay? 
a story uh, that started their life in ministry was when their, their one-year-old baby boy was battling a heart defect and he lost that battle and they lost their son. These are devout Christian people with teams of people praying with them, joining them in prayer. What's up with that, God? And someone came along, by the way, and said, yes, it was because you didn't have enough faith. And that person's just a moron. Let me just outline it pretty simply, okay? Sorry, It'd be, I'll, be, I'll be judged for that, great. He's a, I love him too and I need to love him, fine, okay? Let me just tell you what happened because that was a no. Boy, I bet that felt like God's no. You know what God was doing? God was preparing Bucky and Kathleen for the season of their lives to trust him and depend on him more than ever. You know what happened? At the funeral, another pastor saw Bucky giving the the, the ceremony and said, you're called into ministry. You know what happened next? 20 plus years of ministry, of touching people's lives, serving them, blessing them, encouraging, helping them through broken marriages, helping them through the storm of life, helping them through financial crisis. God's no of bringing that boy back to life was his yes to a ministry of affecting so many, countless. We don't even know the people that come up to Bucky at a restaurant or on a Sunday morning back at Watermark from 15, 20 years ago and say, you have no idea what God did using you in my life. You see, what I think Jesus is doing here as he's talking to a bunch of teenage, young adult disciples. He's saying, you need to get rid of the foregone conclusion thinking, like it's not going to happen. Our, our default, you guys, is doubt. It needs to be partnering in prayer. Jesus is saying that to the disciples, saying your default maybe in this moment was you went to doubt. You weren't believing God for, for what, you know, he could do as the author of history and the author of all, all things. And that's a default way of thinking. He's just going after that way of thinking. He's not saying you're not enough. He says right there, mustard seed. So I have two example stories as we wind down and we go to what we're doing next. A dumb one and a cool one, okay? When I see mustard seed, I'm so encouraged. Because what people have used this passage for guilt and condemnation, you don't have enough faith. Jesus says, but if you had a mustard seed faith, you could move mountains. You and me in the room, you guys, as we exit today, we need to start with mustard size, maybe prayers. We need to start on the smallest thing that you think maybe God's not capable of. So the other day, I get home late to the condo and uh, there's not going to be any parking. <laughs> and so my very first thought is, man, I'm, I'm, I'm done for. I'm just get ready to walk, Ben. It's not happening. And then there was a little switch that thought, well, okay, this is small, but why don't I pray? Why don't I offer it up to God? Hey, God, you could give me a parking space. You could do that. Why don't you just hook it up with a parking space that's like pretty close and I can get back to my family and back to bedtime routine. You know what? There was a spot. There was a spot there. Very next thought that I want as I'm looking at your brains right now through your skull and your brains are thinking, Ben, seriously? Isn't that like a little dumb and maybe couldn't that have been coincidence? You know who says that about prayers? Unbelievers. Unbelievers say that it was coincidence. It was dumb luck. So I don't, I'm not inclined to believe that. As those who call ourselves Christians, we don't have that benefit either. We don't have a default mechanism that says, oh, that was just luck. No, we believe in a sovereign God who's all over history. Okay, one more story, the cool one. We got Melissa here, okay? And we welcome Melissa. And there was a time for two months we were searching for the right children's director at Watermark. And uh, there was a moment we were in staff meeting in this conference room right over here. And, and I was leading staff at this, for this one particular day and we're praying for uh, the right candidate. At this time, we knew we, had a, we, had a, we were about to put an offer out to Melissa. And I'm praying and I'm like, you know what? I, don't, I wanna use vague terms. I'm just gonna be real general. God, you know, if it's maybe your will and whoever the right candidate is, would you bring them? 
all the while knowing, thinking, believing it should be Melissa. And we want Melissa. And we feel like Melissa's called here. In that moment, because I knew it was my turn to start praying. It was going around, right? Popcorn style. And it becomes my turn to pray. And I think, you know what? No, forget that. I'm getting up. I'm walking over to this chair because this is going to be the chair where Melissa's going to sit, maybe. And I'm going to pray using her name. I want to be specific and I want to be believing and trusting God that as the author of history, that there's power in prayer. And so we pray. You know what? Melissa says yes to the offer. That's cool. And did I do that? No. God's will is sovereign. But my desire was in line with God's desire. And he does powerful things when we meet him there, you guys, when we partner with him there. And even then you're thinking, great, Ben, it works great when you get what you want. One more thing. A month prior, we had an offer out to another candidate. And we had family interviews and all this time and money invested just to try and hire this person, this individual. And we thought for sure she's going to be the one. In the 11th hour, I've accepted an offer at another church. Does God say no sometimes? Is he still operating? Is he still faithful? And our response after we got over our own baggage was, you know, we need to go back to where? We need to go back to our knees in prayer. Because here's the thing, you guys. Sometimes God, God's no is to help us not settle for what's good, but what's, for, what's best. God's no can be to, not to settle for what's good, but what, what's best. We're gonna pray right now. Uh, we're gonna sing actually. And there's two stations on either side of the room with these cork boards. And there's pieces of paper and there's pens. This is what we invite you to do. Put a name down of the person that you would hope would be sitting next to you in the next 60 days, the next six months. Write down the name of the person that you would hope be filling that empty seat right next to you. And let me just invite you, as you pray, do you think it's too dumb? I think it's too small to get a piece of paper and write a name on there. Ben, what does that really do? There is nothing too dumb or too small for God to do. When our will is aligned with his will, you can do immeasurably more. Join me, let's pray over these names right now. Lord, I just thank you so much, Father, for your power in this world, for the way you work all things to the good of those who are called according to your purpose and those who are calling for your purpose to be done. I'm so thankful, God, for the power in prayer. You don't leave us alone. And so, Jesus, for those prayers in this room right now, those prayers for broken marriages and broken financial situations and broken homes and broken neighbors and friends, would you meet us halfway? Oh, would you part the waters, God? Would you part the waters and then let us take this first step in prayer, believing that your will is good and you love your children and you want what's best for your children. Meet us halfway, God, as we join you in prayer right now. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.